1: to the Victorious Souls podcast with me, Danielle Burnock, your host from DanielleBurnock.com, that lady on the internet who loves you, connecting you to the love that heals so you can go from surviving to thriving in life. And today I have a wonderful guest with me, Jocelyn Jones. She is an author. She is a speaker. She has her own podcast also. She's the founder of Faith on the Journey Counseling. She's a training facilitator for the Trauma Healing Institute, and so much more. She's got lots of degrees and letters, and she's got lots to share with us today. And I can't wait to get into it today. Thank you for being with me today, Jocelyn. Thank you so much for having me, Danielle. Oh, it's a pleasure. And Like I said, you have so much to share, and you work with people to help them do what you call break the power of the mask. Can you share with us your expertise because you do this because of your own personal experience? How did you come about this terminology? Where did you put on a mask? What has happened to you in your life?
2: Yeah, that's a that's a serious question, Danielle. <laughs> I'll try to keep it short for the sake of your guest, but but yes, I I started wearing a mask early on in life, and that's how it it is. It's formed early from childhood. We're told that we have to present ourselves a certain way. For me, I took excellence, interpreted excellence that my parents wanted to instill in me as perfection. And so I wore this mask of perfection and strength uh, throughout my younger years. And in my early 20s, uh, when I experienced a sexual trauma Mm -hmm. due to an unhealthy relationship I was in, it really devastated me. And I didn't talk about it, but I was struggling behind the scenes with shame, with Unforgiveness towards that person Embarrassment towards myself and, and so I wore a mask And I also just kept myself so busy In terms of work and ministry Presenting the smile on my face When deep down inside I was struggling with So much depression and shame And so I think many people We see even in the church Many believers They wear masks And people don't realize that they're hurting And so for years I was serving in my church doing the work of the Lord and I said wait you know I'm doing all this work but still don't feel like I'm fulfilled in terms of my personal life I'm serving but I'm still feeling empty I need to work on my own healing and so in my venture to do work around my own heart and in healing those old wounds I began soul searching and went back to seminary school to determine my own vocation. And while in seminary school, they asked me, you know, what was my call? And I didn't even understand, like, what do you mean call? (laughs) What is this? (laughs) But when I, I sat with that question for over a year, I knew I wanted to help people, but how? And eventually, God started to connect the dots for me that, yes, you've gone through your own personal trauma. You've had to do work around your own healing and still doing work to this day around your own healing. But you also have a desire to help other people to heal. And that eventually led into me developing my ministry and writing my first book around the topic of helping people to heal, but not only helping them in that area, but also helping people to see how they wear a mask that hinders their ability to heal. Because in order for you to be able to start that process, you need to be able to be honest with yourself that you're not okay, that you're hurting, that you need help. And so that's the premise of the story is about how we wear these emotional masks to hide our pain, but we need to remove the mask so God can heal us.
1: Wow. So where do... Where did your relationship with God come in here? Because you mentioned, you know, you went to seminary and God helped you here. So where did God enter into this story here? Because you went through that that relationship, you said, that turned into sexual trauma. And I'm so sorry that happened to you. But where did God come in your story there? He just kind of like landed there in the middle for a minute there.
2: Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you asked. I, I began to develop a relationship with God. When I was in college, now I went to a Catholic school growing up, and Mm -hmm. you know I had all the traditions, the genuflecting, all the prayers (laughs) recited. (laughs) I knew all those, but it wasn't really an authentic relationship with God. But when I was 18, someone invited me to a Bible study. I watched this this cassette cassette tape, uh, VHS tape that is, uh, of Juanita Bynum, "No More Sheets," and in that she preached a sermon around pretty much overcoming shame and and releasing some of the baggage that we were carrying. And that just wrecked me. I was done after watching that. I was crying the ugly cry after watching that. So I got saved at a Bible study (laughs) Uh in someone's living room. And from that point, I I actually tried to plug into church. And I was off and on because I was in college, uh, still trying to live the life, do all the fun things, right? But after I returned from college, I got really serious. I said, let me find a church home. And so when I was around 22 years old, that's when I really got serious about my walk
1: with God. Hmm. You mentioned that after you listened to that or watched that, It wrecked you. Is that a part of when you started to look at yourself and your healing or was that way before that? Do do those two connect?
2: Yeah, I I think it's a... a one of the, the breadcrumbs, the, one mm-hmm. of the first initial puzzle pieces, if you will, of that process. God had been chasing me for so long, but I didn't realize it. And at that moment, when you hear a message that seems like it's just for you mm-hmm. and you, <laughs> it convicts you, it it t- tells your story. You're like, how are you all in my business? What is this <laughs> going on? Why, why are like my eyes just filling up you, when you have the, that initial encounter? is overwhelming. And so I think it was a a mixture of my initial encounter with God and his grace and his mercy. And also uh, me understanding that I've I've been hurt, and I need to kind of deal with some of the things that um, I was struggling with. And so it was that combination that was the perfect way of God saying, Okay, I'm here. I'm with you along this journey.
1: Let's do this together. Wow. So then how did you work on your healing? Through all of that? Or when did that actually, like in your 20s, you started the self-reflection? And what what all did you do? How did you go about doing that?
2: I wish I could say in my 20s, I was diligent about this, but I was not. I was definitely like, oh, I got issues, but this is too much to deal with. So I'm just going to wear this mask and stay busy. <laughs> So that was the twenties of for Jocelyn. Were you
1: conscious that you were putting on that mask of the being busy, or do you think you were living in some kind of self denial?
2: I was more of the latter. I Mm -hmm. I really I would sometimes be prompted to say, okay, let me try counseling, but then after like a couple sessions, I would just leave. (laughs) Like I like I wasn't quite prepared to deal with it. It Was it was work healing around especially things that have been traumatic in your life is work. It, it takes takes the breath out of you sometimes when you really face the things that have really hindered you. And for me, it was easier just to focus on ministry and do good things, get an affirmation from the church and, and the things that I, allowed me to forget about the things that were burdening me. And so that is what I did in my 20s don't recommend it but that's what I did <laughs> it well this wasn't... is what
1: people need to see because if they're doing the same thing it's like what does it look like you said that you were getting busy in ministry and that to distract yourself it's like how else could you draw the picture of this is what that mask looks like and for them to identify themselves and how can you encourage them to take off that mask if they're you know doing the same thing you were doing
2: yeah, yeah. I actually talk about some variations of the mask more in my second book that I'm currently writing, but I describe what I was wearing as the producer mask, where I just kept busy all the time. I got my affirmation from other people saying, oh, you're doing such a great job. You know, the type that my place always full, never have downtime. The only downtime I have is to sleep. And even that's kind of like suspect. And then the perfection mask that I was telling you about where mm-hmm. I like always had to be spot on, overperforming all the time in what I do. And then the the mask of strength, which is typical. Um you might hear in the the black community the strong black woman uh, which is something I had down to science in terms of always projecting that, you know, I was in control of my emotions. I had my independence. So I I was wearing multiple masks. Wow.
1: <laughs> yeah, I can long. imagine that in your ethnic community, the needing to project that power. That must feel like a lot of pressure. Did that feel like a lot of pressure? Do you wear the mask because of pressure? You need to perform like this. You need to look like this.
2: You know, that's a good question. I think some of it is from a societal standpoint that, you know, you see certain images, you might have been told certain things growing up, and and it could be from a loving family. My parents were loving. Mm -hmm. They wanted the best for me. But still, certain expectations could, or just things that you witnessed uh, from others, or you observed from others. My mother, she was very strong. So that's something that I said, oh, well, this is how I'm supposed to be. So there's certain things that you learn, but it's also some things that we just kind of make up in our minds for ourselves too. You know, there's certain things that I just felt I needed to do. And I wasn't even quite sure where it came from. And it took a lot of work to say, why do you feel like you need to be perfect? Girl, that don't even make sense. The only perfect being was Jesus and you ain't Jesus. (laughs) So what is this? You know, so doing the digging around why and how some of this doesn't make sense and nor is it healthy Mm -hmm. to do was something I really had to wrestle with.
1: The why. Yeah, the why. That's something happened to me in counseling. My counselor would ask me why. And I'm like, "Uh, I don't know kind of thing. But that's where, like you said, we need to dig. And Mm -hmm. that's where we put the mask on instead because it's work to dig. But it's worth digging,
0: isn't it?
2: Yes, it's work to dig, but it's worth digging. I love it. <laughs> That's a quote. I'm, a, I'm gonna use. I'm gonna give you credit for that. Right?
1: <laughs> it's so true. People hide because of various reasons, but it's worth the digging. And I want to pause here for you who are listening. It is worth the digging. Digging. You are worth the digging. Just pause and contemplate that for a minute you are worth the digging and Jocelyn's here to confirm that she's worth the digging i was worth the digging and you listening you are worth the digging so how did you dig how how are some of what are some of the ways that you found out the answers to your why's and got to the bottom of things
2: well for one counseling i definitely am someone who's a big advocate of that and when I got serious, I stayed in counseling. And sometimes I think I want to point this out, Danielle, it takes a while for people to find the right counselor. It's like finding the right shoe. You know, mm-hmm. not every shoe is a good fit Oh, I like I that. It's like see.
1: finding the right shoe. I like that. This yeah. has come up in a number of interviews and we always pause around this because I've had bad counselors and I had a really good one. And I pause and say, you're listening. You're worth finding the good one. If you don't have a good one, don't waste lots of money on that. Just go and get another one.
2: Important, knowing what you need, advocating for your needs. It's, you know, some, sometimes you just have to search for a while. And so putting in that work, and eventually when I found a good counselor, I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is what I needed. And it's not, I tell people, your counselor is not your Friend, right sometimes like we want to look at a counselor as like your best friend a girlfriend or whatever but they're someone who is an objective and hopefully in 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 my context a God-fearing individual who yields to God's direction in the Holy Spirit as they accompany you through this process Mm -hmm. Um, and so they will challenge you Um, they will you know, ask the difficult questions, in in hopes of helping you to get a place where you are drawn closer to God, and you are going forward in your healing process and understanding who you are in Christ. And so, I think that the counselor element again is a is a difference between best friend or even like a pastor who can provide some support, but they their role is different. It's unique in your life, and I think everyone can benefit from it.
1: I agree. I agree. I think everyone needs counseling (laughs) Mm -hmm. at one point or another. I was in it a couple of times and the last time it was about five years I was in there and I would do it again in a heartbeat. It was quite worth it. But you didn't just do counseling. And that also makes me think of people who hesitate to go to counseling or they get a counselor and counselor is bad and they can't seem to get themselves to look for another one what would you encourage them to do to help them get themselves to try another counselor? What is something they could do in the interim? It sounds like you did multiple things, not just counseling, but other things also. What are some other things they could do that would augment that?
2: Right, for sure. So, through my church, I became active in ministry and there were certain retreats that I attended. So there was retreats in my church and external retreats. And during those retreats, you can almost consider that kind of like a uh, Super Bowl of of work around your healing. It's like it's big time. It's expedited in its approach. And so those intense moments where we were asked difficult questions and we were in community and we cried and we hugged and we shared and we were seen I think Mm -hmm. we don't sometimes understand the importance of sharing our story and being held in our story in a safe environment. You can't share your story with everyone and every environment is not safe. But when you're able to have a, a place where the Holy Spirit is there and people who actually care about you and are going to allow for you to speak your truth, your story, that is, without judgment. That's critical. And so those retreats were also very helpful for me in my process. And then also certain practices I think everyone can really learn and grow from. Uh, For me, it's journaling. Mm -hmm. I think journaling and writing and expressing writing, whether you are someone who likes to write poetry, I've worked with people who like to use that as a tool to kind of express and emote their pain, lamenting, writing and crying out to God. You know, sometimes we got the stuff bottled in and we don't get it out. Mm -hmm. So that could be a very therapeutic way in which you can release what you've been carrying. And so practices such as that, talking with a counselor, finding community, whether it's through retreat, whether it's through a support group, a local Bible study. I think that communal piece is really the piece that was very helpful for me.
1: I agree. Trauma takes place with relationships in some capacity. And so healing has to take place with relationships as well. Do you have advice for someone who has gone to a group of some sort, not trying to something bad on anything, but I've heard people going through this. They've gone to a group of some sort of support group of Bible study or whatever it is. And they shared thinking it was safe, but then it wasn't. What would you say to them? How would you encourage them to take another chance of doing something else again?
2: Well, I would first say, I'm so sorry that happened to you. That always burdens me when I hear someone's story and Unfortunately, you know, God's people fall short and sometimes people do hurt you. Uh, But we have to recognize that that's not a representation of every space that you might encounter. And so I always encourage people to use discernment. And if anything, if you can just stick your toe in the water to to test the temperature uh, from a small group that you might see, uh, ask around, maybe see if there's a friend who you trust who's been involved with the group, uh, and you can just tag along with them. Observe, observe the dynamics of the group, and that from that you can learn a lot. Yeah. And then over time you can see: do these people hold hold everyone's story in a safe way? Do they talk about other people, or is it kept? private. How do people engage? Watch the room. And then eventually you might feel comfortable in sharing your story. But I do encourage you to give it another chance, but take your time in doing so.
1: Amen. Good advice. Good advice. I wholeheartedly agree to observe and take your time like baby steps. Think of it as like baby steps, like a little thing, like take take the smallest thing to share and share that first and kind of like, how did they take that? <laughs> kind of thing to put your toe in the water. That that was perfect. What would you say was your biggest obstacle to healing?
2: I think shame. I think that was one of the biggest obstacles. And then I think with that shame, it was this expectation of myself that was unfair. I think sometimes we have this Expectation of ourselves to to be perfect, and sometimes we have a narrative that we tell ourselves that, well, if you didn't do this, you wouldn't have had this, or this happened because you did this. the the noise, the white noise, the the lies is what I'll I'll name because that's what it was that the enemy just kind of consistently whispered in my ear. Uh, so those lies fueled the shame, which caused me to just stay in a place of feeling powerless about moving forward it caused me to be stuck and so for me I had to really pray to God to help me to not be in bondage by something that happened so many years ago and to say okay you're taking on certain uh condemnation if you will for something that wasn't it wasn't your fault. Right. And so understanding these things and really asking God to bring to light the truth versus the lies that I have Mm -hmm. really held on to is, is, is a part of what I needed to do to heal.
1: Yeah. Shame is a prevalent side effect to trauma. Like I think it's the first thing that shows up inside our psyche, inside our insides in our soul and our in our mind and all the different places that shame is the first thing even children blame themselves for trauma and they are never never to blame for their trauma no one's to blame for their trauma trauma is an involuntary wound that happens on the inside no one's to blame but it's such a prevalent feeling people go through and they blame themselves but there's freedom that we can have in Christ but we need to feed on that and surround ourselves with that and feed on the truth because the shame really is a lie. But just saying that it's not that simple. It's not a magic wand to say that it takes the work, like you had mentioned to get that shame out and get the truth in that, that there is no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus. The law of the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death and being traumatized is not a sin. I'm going to stop right here because it happened to flow out right there. Being traumatized is not a sin. And if anyone has ever said that to you, you're listening to this. I'm here to tell you being traumatized is not a sin. And it's not your fault. But healing is yours in Jesus' name. You can have it. God wants you healed. Being healed changes everything. And knowing that your love changes everything. And it is the love of God that heals us. So what would you say was the greatest asset to healing? greatest asset wow I think
2: communion with God um, when I finally stopped running and it was hard and I still sometimes I'm tempted to run but I had the, the deepest growth when I finally sat in the quiet and, and communed with my heavenly father right and I, I think that Sometimes we avoid the quiet because silence can be so loud. But when we really take time to allow God to impart his love in us and sit in the word and really see ourselves how God sees us, how beautiful we are. I think that's what was so significant for me and my growth to help me to move from shame to boldness, and move from a place of saying, you know what, the enemy helped me held me in captivity for over a decade, but he ain't gonna do that anymore. Amen. And and what I'm gonna do is pay back for all them years <laughs> by doing this ministry, writing this book, and being on mission to help other people to experience God's healing and his love. This is personal.
1: Amen. And that's that's what drives me to do what I do. Oh, that's beautiful. There's a word that comes up to me here maybe it's just because it's part of my journey you had mentioned it in yours also is that word of safety and sitting in that place of communion with the lord you felt safe there was a place of safety with the almighty god many people have fear when it comes to god so i wanted to point this out that there is a safe place With the Lord God Almighty, there is a safe place. He is safe for your soul. That's what he has designed it. Jesus took care of everything that isn't safe. (laughs) He took the all unsafe off and we get the safe. That just made me think of that because I used to be myself because of spiritual trauma. I was so afraid of God and I know I am not alone out there. So pointing out that that place where was your greatest asset, was in that fellowship, was in the secret place of the Most High. You were abiding there. You were safe there. You were held there. You were comforted there. And that is, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it, (laughs) of that beautiful place, because it is that beautiful. It is that wonderful to be in that place and be held. Let let the Holy, Holy One who created us hold us. And that place of safety and love. It is just so powerful. Mm-hmm. You, We brought up the book before, but I don't want to skip past something you had brought up earlier to me, that this, you just passed a one-year anniversary with your passing of your father and you had to do the eulogy and you found yourself putting on a mask again. Can you elaborate a little bit on that?
2: Yeah, it's actually his one-year anniversary of his death is today. Wow. And yeah, and looking at this last month, I've actually grieved significantly this mm-hmm. month in particular, leading up to this day. And I remember this time last year, it was it was expected but unexpected that my dad passed away. He was struggling with Alzheimer's mm-hmm. for many years, and you know, seeing a parent decline like that, you like anticipate, you know, anticipatory grief. You're mm-hmm. anticipating their loss and and you're struggling with that and it's a slow release it's a yeah. slow kiss goodbye it's Just, called the long
1: goodbye yeah
2: yeah right and so i uh, really struggling with that and then it happened it's like oh my gosh you know I, I didn't know this was the last time I was going to see him yeah. and when he passed and I got the word and I, I called my pastor and he was like you know what you should give the eulogy I was calling him to give the eulogy but he asked me <laughs> wait, what? <laughs> and so in in doing that, I felt this pressure, which was coming from with me within me it wasn't someone else to not cry to, to not break down while giving the eulogy. And it was such a pressure where I was almost disconnected from myself. The day of his funeral, you know, I found myself kind of making jokes and things like that. And it was completely this mask of strength and it was out of body. It wasn't as if I was Jocelyn James Jones's daughter at that moment, I was disconnected so I could get through. And, wow. you know, sometimes people say you got to do what you got to do. But what I see on the back end of that is how it, it took my opportunity in that moment to grieve in community, mm. uh, which was a special moment because I was focused on ministering to other people versus the fact that I honestly needed to be ministered to. And several weeks later, actually just around, well, it was actually several months later around his birthday. That's when things started crumbling down. I got to the point where I didn't realize why I was hypersensitive, but the day before his birthday, I had a complete breakdown. I was at the gym, walking into the gym to meet some old friends, and someone said, hey, Jocelyn, I hadn't seen you in a while. It's so good to see you. And I just started bawling (laughs) and had to run to the bathroom and say, get yourself together, girl. What's going on? And I couldn't. (laughs) I was... It was out of control. And the the coach there had to really sit with me and, and talk with me and minister to me. And I found out that she just lost her dad, too. And her dad was her best friend. And we just had such a special moment because we both removed our mask. And and that was the thing. She hadn't cried since her dad's funeral. I was over here pretending and wearing my mask of strength too. And so in that moment we were seeing each other and holding each other yeah. in our pain and that allowed for us to have a release. Yeah. When we cry is a release and it's, it's oh, yeah. a beautiful gift that God gives us to be able to express and emote our pain. Yeah. And I needed that in that moment. I didn't have to be strong. And yeah. so that's that's just one of those experiences. That's
1: a great example of how when we shove the pain down, in this case, it was grief, and you had shoved it down in the other things that would happen in your earlier years, that it turns into a volcano if we don't let it out. It will volcano on you, and you have no idea when it's going to do that. So you are listening. If you're shoving it down or covering it with a mask or something, I implore you to pause And start doing something, even if you just let it out little bits at a time, like a tea kettle, just open up just a little bit at a time because it'll blow up. It'll blow up. If you don't let it out, it will blow up because it's coming out. It's going to come out somewhere. It's going to come out somewhere. One thing that you mentioned, Jocelyn, I want to bring up here that I learned through my healing journey after my mother passed is we had never been given the tools to grieve when my grandmother died and my dad died and all that stuff. Then later my mom died. Suddenly I had these people who had tools. I'm like, really, there's a way to do this. You can get help if you're grieving. I didn't even know there was help available before. And now I do. And this is something Jocelyn does also is to help. So if you're in need of some grief help, Jocelyn's your woman here, but tears, there's been studies done on tears two things about tears. One is tears carry enzymes out of the body. And when you are grieving, they are carrying toxic enzymes out of your body that will make your body sick if you don't let it out. So that's why they're a God-given gift. Crying is a God-given gift to make you be healthier. But then there's been a study on tears also that looking at them under the microscope, They all look different, and they're all beautiful, (laughs) depending on why they're being shed. If they're being shed for anger or sorrow or frustration or you're cutting up an onion, whatever the case may be, every one of them is different. And that's the beauty of our God. He is just so creative, and they have a different function. They're not just a tear. Crying is a beautiful gift. So I wanted to pause to highlight that crying is a beautiful gift. People so often apologize for crying. I said, I'm so I shouldn't cry. A friend of mine lost her husband. And when I went to see her, she was talking about him and she started to cry. She started to apologize. I said, never apologize for crying. You cry. I cry. (laughs) You need to cry. Need to let it out for so many reasons. Tears are important. One of the things the hospice people, I think I got it from them. I have this poem, it's, tears are a language. Tears are a language for us to understand. I don't remember the title of it exactly, but calling it a language, I, I just loved that. We think of our tears as a language instead of a weakness. Perhaps it will empower us to let them be there more. We need to stop squishing our emotions we think Are unpleasant or unpolite or make others uncomfortable. We need to embrace them in the framework that God gave them to us. He didn't give them to us by accident. Oh my goodness, I meant, I didn't mean to give them emotions. Now look at them. He didn't do that. He gave them to us on purpose. And you wrote a book through all of this. I know you're working on another one, but you have a book already out there. What's the name of that book? And tell us about that book and how it came to be.
2: Yeah, so it's called Breaking the Power of the Mask. And I got that name because the mask has had power over too many of us for so long. And the mask does not need to rule you. Uh, so we need to break its power over us so we can heal. And so it talks about three pain pits that we often find ourselves in where we find ourselves stuck. Uh, The pain pit of shame, grief and unforgiveness and how we have to eventually face that pain, remove our mask and actually go through the process of receiving God's love and healing in our lives. So the first half of the book focuses on that. It also has glimpses of my story along the way in terms of my process of removing the mask. And then the last half of the book focuses on practical steps that you can do along with your communion with God, of course, at the center to really begin to heal from
1: your pain. Wow, oh, that sounds awesome. Where can people get that? Sure, they can
2: visit a website called Breaking the Mask dot com breaking the mask dot com and that's actually connected to my personal website where you can learn about all the great things that we
1: got going on over here oh yeah <laughs> but,
2: yeah that's where you can we haven't even got that. into
1: the trauma part yet so that's yeah. where we're going next after this because you are a training facilitator for the trauma healing institute tell us about that and what that's all about how did you get involved with that and what do they do
2: yes and i actually i've Forgot to tell you, I recently got promoted to master facilitator. with Ooh, congratulations. congratulations. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so with them, I actually, they are an entity, they've been in existence since 2001. And they work with lay leaders to equip them to facilitate trauma healing groups. And trauma healing groups are essentially Bible studies to help people to heal from trauma. And so with that, I came across this curriculum back in 2020. And I was like, oh my gosh, is this right in line with everything I write about in my book? This experience is amazing. I saw people having breakthroughs. I'm like, I want to do this. I want to train other people to be able to facilitate these groups. And so I, I dove right in and I got active, got certified and started running groups. And I've run several groups throughout the year where we train lay leaders, Christian counselors, anyone who works in the healing field, who desires to be able to facilitate this process on this curriculum. And the great thing is the process only takes two months to get that initial certification. And so that's something that I enjoy. I love running these groups as a part of my ministry.
1: Do you run them at churches or community centers, or how how do you run them?
2: Oh, thanks for asking. They're actually ran online, uh, which is a beautiful gift, right? That the pandemic actually opened up for us because before we had to run the groups in our local area, but now because of everything that happened with COVID, we were allowed to run these groups on Zoom. And so I have people from across the country who meet each other. Some I've had people outside the country who participated in this. And so it's a great experience for people to go through and connect with people from all over.
1: Oh, that's awesome. And now you're branching out and making your own aspect of this, starting your own. Tell us about that. What's it called? And tell us the details.
2: Sure. So I started a membership community called the trauma healing network. And it's for individuals who feel called to do the work around helping others to heal again, whether they're a Christian counselor, Christian life coach, they do trauma work, whatever the case may be. And they need help along the way in developing their ministry. I know when I started my ministry back in twenty eighteen, I had no clue what I was doing. I mean, stumbling forward, making so many mistakes. And I would just love to help people not to go through some of the craziness that I went through. <laughs> and so so this is designed to connect you with other leaders to help you discern to discern which path you want to take as it relates to your healing ministry. To do ongoing coaching, support, online trainings. And so I'm really excited to help other people who've been called to this work to to walk into their ministry. And so that's what the Trauma Healing Network is about.
1: Wow, is that opened all the time or is it not launched yet? Or how how does that it's, work?
2: It's currently open. Uh, and if it's not open at the time of this release, it'll be open again soon. People can sign up for the wait list on our website at
1: traumahealingnetwork.com. Okay. And you're also working on another book. Do you have the title of your book that's you're working on?
2: Yes. It's called Beyond the Mask. <laughs> so it's a continuation, Beyond the Mask. And I'm really hoping to go much deeper in some of the concepts that I wrote about in my first book. The first book was such an easy read. The second one is going to, to take things to the next level for people. And so I'm really excited about this work. I'm going on a, a week writer's retreat to finish the the touches on the book. And so I'm looking forward to it being released.
1: Well, that's awesome. Was well, is there anything that we missed or something you want to make sure that our audience hears from you today before we, we say goodbye for the day?
2: Yeah, I think that the main thing is it's all about community, Danielle, whether it's community as it relates to your own personal healing and community as it relates to where God is calling you to go through your ministry Whatever you're seeking to do, we can't do it alone. Uh, we are relational beings. And so I encourage people to plug in uh, to whatever resources that God is really prompting you to do. Don't wait. And please do not put your healing on the back burner. Stop running. Stop wearing the mask and face the things that you've been running from so you can really experience life the way God wants you to. Whole and Wholeness and healing is something that belongs to you.
1: Amen. That's beautiful. So how can people connect with you? Where can they find you? Are you on the socials, your website? Yeah. You mentioned the one with the book before. So,
2: Yeah. So Jocelyn J. Jones is probably the best website to send people to because it's links to all my different ministries and go. things I have going on. So you can get my book, everything there. So visit Jocelyn J. Jones uh, to connect with me.
1: Okay, and I'll have the links in the show notes and everything, too. But it's always good to have it so people hear it as people read, people hear all different ways that we bring stuff in. Thank you for sharing your story with us today, Jocelyn, and all those great tidbits of encouraging people to move forward, to dare to do the work, take off the mask and to connect with the God who loves them so much.
2: Yes, thank you for having me.
1: Oh, and audience, thank you for being with us today. We love you. And so until next time, bye bye.
0: Thank you so much for listening to the Victoria Souls Podcast. You matter and you are loved. We'd love to connect with you further. So please visit us at danielleburnock.com and grab a copy of Danielle's free audiobook. And remember, only you can change your life. No one can do it for you.